0: Turn to John 19. Turn there, and then I want to read a mess passage for you out of 1 Corinthians 1. We're going to be looking at the crucifixion of Christ since we're in the book of John. Today I'll be trying to describe those events from the four Gospels, because no one Gospel gives us the whole picture. Uh, It's like you've got four different cameramen And they have four different audiences. Uh, Matthew wrote to the Jews. uh, Mark, most likely to the Romans. uh, Luke to the Gentile world. John, uh, most likely Jews as the audience. Uh, But you've got these four portraits of Christ. And we come to the cross event. I want to go through the narrative today. Next week, I'll start dealing with why the cross? What did the cross accomplish? Did, because we can reenact and rehearse his death all day and never know the message. See, uh, I think of how many uh, Mexican people in Mexico and in the Philippines can reenact the crucifixion with such blood and gruesome uh, graphic detail that it, uh, Mel Gibson can do it, right? Yeah. But you can see Mel Gibson every day for a year and never get the message, It's more than blood and gore. What was it about? And that we'll be addressing in the following sermons. But listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 18. For the word of the cross, the message of the cross, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now remember, Corinth is about 40 miles south of Athens, The intellectual capital of the world, Aristotle, Socrates, all the great philosophers of the day, they operate up here in Athens. Corinth is associated with the wisdom capital of the world. And he says, you know what, when we preach the cross in Athens, it's called a laughing stock foolishness. How can God save anybody through a plunging, slaughtered son? It's the most absurd message in the world. How can God populate heaven with a beaten pulp of a man so bloodied and so swollen that Isaiah said nobody could recognize who he was on the cross? That is ugly. That is bad. The face swollen, bleeding, caked blood. How can this save anybody? For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. Get a PhD in philosophy and you most likely still won't know God. No matter how smart you get, he said, by wisdom, the world did not know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Only those who believe the message of the cross get saved. You don't get saved because of your IQ and how smart you are. The wise men of this age, he said, had they have known who they were crucifying, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. 1 Corinthians 2.8. The wise men killed the wisdom of God. The wise men nailed omniscience to a cross. The powerful men nailed omnipotence to a cross. For indeed, Jews ask for signs, and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to Jews a stumbling block, and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called and saved, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The weakest thing God ever did saves us. The most foolish thing God ever did in the eyes of the world was the wisdom that populated heaven. Don't be impressed with the world's method. They worship wisdom, so-called wisdom, so-called strength. God says, I'm going to do it just the opposite. I'm going to get so weak, my son dies the death of a criminal, and it's going to look so foolish, he's going to be crucified next to the city dump of Jerusalem, and that will be the way I pay for sinners going to heaven. So, Paul says in Galatians, I will only boast in the cross. Now, let's look at the narrative and we will move quickly through it so we get the flow of things. Christ has been tried. We're looking at the last six hours of his life. Now, look, the night before he took the Passover with his disciples. While he's there, Judas has left, has sold him out, and he's going to bring the guards to arrest Jesus. Jesus goes from the upper room, goes across the Kidron Valley goes into uh, what is known as Gethsemane, the olive grove where he prayed often across from the Kidron. And while he's there, he's praying, probably prayed at least three hours because he asked, could you not pray with me an hour? Stay awake. Don't swing your sword. Just make it to the prayer meeting. And they can't pass the test of prayer. And so he's there for maybe three hours. We're probably getting close to midnight. In the night, they come and they uh, arrest him. They take him before uh, Annas, one of the uh, former high priests, the father-in-law of the present Caiaphas, who's in office. And so they go there, three trials before Annas, Caiaphas, the next morning, the Sanhedrin. We must kill him. They take him then to Pilate. Pilate tries him, and he said, where is he from? Galilee. I don't want to rule on this case because I don't find him guilty. Sends him to Herod Antipas, whose r- rulership was over Galilee. Herod sends him back. I don't find him guilty. Stands before Pilate again five times. Pilate says, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. And they says, you must release somebody we ask for. We want Barabbas to be set free, a murderer, an insurrectionist, but you've got to kill this man. And so Pilate washes his hands as though he's innocent of the death, and he goes along with him. Now we come to the cross. We come to him going. They first give him the scourging that, according to Josephus and other writers, often exposed the intestines. of his 39 stripes with bone and lead, that ripped all the meat off the bones. Most men died under it. And uh, so his lungs could have been exposed. He, uh, His intestines on in the back could have been exposed. Bones certainly were. And so now they say, carry the crossbar of the cross to your own death. And they start out towards the cross, and he begins to stumble. He's too weak to carry it, And they see a man, Simon, from Cyrene. It's believed that this Simon was the father of Rufus, who's mentioned to the Roman church in Romans 16. Probably led his boy to the Lord. But here he is bearing the cross for this pulverized Savior whose back looks like men plowed him under. So they go. And uh, on the way, it says as they're going out there, Before this, the soldiers had stripped him, Matthew said, put a scarlet robe on him, twisted together a crown of thorns, put a staff in his hand, and hailed him as king of the Jews, mocking. This I never noticed before in the narrative. They spit on him and took the staff, and they struck him on the head again and again and again. Now, he's been scourged, Now, take a wooden club and keep hitting the man on the head. Amazing that they then expect him to carry his own cross, the cross beam. Well, as they are going towards the cross, people are mocking. The crowd's all whipped up, crucifying, killing. He's an imposter. And so, they're taking him. They're mocking him. They're hitting him. They're making fun of him. Imagine in your last moments of life to have no one to comfort you, but everybody to make fun of you. So he gets there. Simon carries the cross. They get to Golgotha. We pick up in John, we'll pick up verse 16, 1916. So he then handed him over to them to be crucified. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull. Now, you need the other narrative to say he started to carry it, but he didn't reach it. He needed help, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. There they crucified him and with two other men, one on either side and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription, put it on the cross, It was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Now, this was despite the Jews because Pilate hated them. He he could care less because he was afraid he was killing an innocent man. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. It was outside the city limits of Jerusalem. It was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier and also the tunic. Most likely by the time he was on the cross, he was totally stripped naked. Now the tunic was seamless Woven in one piece. Remember, his mother made this garment. Um, So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother. Could you imagine watching your son be crucified? It'd be bad enough to watch them die of leukemia. It'd be bad enough to die of cancer, but of crucifixion? None of us would want to be there. But his mother's there, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clovis, and Mary Magdalene, the great sinful woman. Sinners have been standing at the cross ever since. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple, whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Nine o'clock in the morning to three o'clock at noon, only six hours, he's on the cross. The normal death period for a crucified person was three days, sometimes longer. So Christ dies quickly. Uh, He's nailed to the cross, and uh, when he's there, the first cry from the cross is Luke 23, where he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing, talking of the men that were dropping him into the hole in the ground. Usually the cross was about two feet out of the ground. They had a wooden piece that you could stand on because most crucified people died from asphyxiation. Not bleeding, but what they would do is they would get there and they'd start out like this and then they begin to slump. And in the slumping and the slumping and the drooping, they couldn't get enough oxygen because to straighten out took strength and pain. And so they keep just falling forward, and that's what usually killed them, the affixation, cut off the air. So while they're there, the soldiers drop him into the ground, and uh, while they're doing this, the soldiers begin to gamble over his garments. Imagine, the only thing I possess in life that my mother made me I'm watching while I'm dying, men gamble for it. No dignity. While this is happening at the cross, they begin to mock him, and this is what they said. You said you could save others. Why don't you save yourself? Come on, king. You keep saying you can save. Save yourself. Could he have saved himself? I can call on angelic powers, I can call on omnipotence, I can just declare myself, I can fly to heaven now, but in the mockery, you know, it's really hard if a guy's punching you, punching you, do something, do something, and all the time, you know, you got the power, but the test is, I can't use my power against him, because I'm really here to bless him. And I didn't come here to show what omnipotence can do. I'm going to burn up this planet someday. I'm going to burn up the universe. Don't think I couldn't do it right now. But this is omnipotence restrained by love. I didn't come to destroy sinners. I came to save them. And if I get even, it's all over. And so, while he's there... A conversation begins at the cross. These two thieves, two criminals, to be crucified, they had to be murderers. They had to be bad, bad boys. Because even Roman citizens were prohibited from being crucified. Most likely Jews. And this is the worst form of death that you can suffer in that time. And they start this conversation, this one... A thief, he joins us and says, Yeah, what? Well, yeah, save yourself. Who do you think you are? And, and making fun and no respect. And another thief said, uh, Wait, 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 wait. This is an innocent man. This is a good man. This is a righteous man. We are dying for our wrong. He is dying for no wrong. You heard Pilate five times he's not guilty. This is a rigged trial. This is a rigged crucifixion. The Jewish leaders hate him. They're against him. He's broken no civil law. He's not worthy of the death penalty in such a death. And so this argument gets going, and all of a sudden the one thief says, you know, Lord, I'm here because I deserve to be But, you know, I believe you are a king, and I believe you've got a kingdom. I'd like to make a request, dear king. What's that? When you come into your kingdom, not ruled by the Roman Empire, would you remember me? And Jesus said, I'll see you today in paradise. Never gave an offering. Never became a deacon. Never jumped through 10. Who He couldn't even fill out our doctrinal statement. Nobody go to heaven that easy. Well, talk it over with him when you see him. I hope you make it. He's there. We'll look at why he's there later. So, he said, I'll let you go with me. And then, in John 19, Jesus looks down. Think of this. He's the most... Self-forgetful person in all the universe. Uh, On the way to the cross, the daughters of Jerusalem are weeping and wailing. And he says, stop, daughters. Don't weep for me. Don't weep for me. Rather weep for what's coming in 70 AD when the Romans are going to come in and burn this city. And it's going to crucify many of you. Don't weep for me. And then they're at the cross. You're on the cross only six hours. You look down and says, who's going to take care of my mother? And he makes arrangements for his mother for the rest of his life. John, the apostle, I want you to take my mom and take care of her the rest of her life. And John did. Behold your son. Behold your mother. And that day formed a new union between Mary and John, the beloved. Amazing. Now it comes at 12 o'clock noon. And when 12 o'clock noon comes, the sun is blotted out. It's as though God shed his garment and he darkened the universe. I don't want anyone to see what's going on now but me and the sun. This is between us. And I'm going to abandon him for a short period. And he cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. The mocker says, he's crying for Elijah. Eli, Eli, look at there. He wants Elijah to come. Didn't know he was saying Psalms 22.1. My God, my God, why are you forsaking me? Well, come back to it. After a while, in John, it says, as the afternoon began to wear on, he said, I am thirsty. So to quench his thirst, uh, they put a sponge to his mouth, and in that sponge was nothing but vinegar. Now, I like vinegar. You cannot eat corned beef and cabbage without vinegar. You can't eat cabbage without vinegar, Right? But if I'm thirsty, vinegar, how could vinegar ever quench that tart taste? It was a mockery. Put it up on a sponge. He's up two feet there, and he gets a little in the mouth, no quenching. But he says, I'm I'm thirsty. And then after a while, he finally says these words, it is finished. And in John's narrative just says he dies. But see, you have to go to Luke 23, where he says, in a loud voice, in a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, I want to just quickly, then let me say what when he did that. At that time, when he said, I commit my spirit to you, the temple veil rent from top to bottom, the earthquake, rocks split. And dead people came out of the graves. It said these same dead people for three days, I don't know where they hung out, but after three days they went back into the city and showed people to him, I got resurrected the day he, got, he died. The graves even opened up to let me out and said, this is the resurrection and the life you've just crucified. No wonder the soldiers, after this happened, the soldiers said, this is the Son of God. And one account said, this is a righteous man. And then they went around. Now, get this. The Jews are very concerned that we keep a holy day. And when you're killing God, you've got to keep the rules. And so they go to Pilate. Oh, I know Pilate was exasperated. They said, Pilate, to honor our holy day that's coming up, would you see that they are all killed before that day? What do you want? Go break their legs, and they did this to hasten death. So they go check them out. Both the soldiers, or both these thieves, get their legs. Can you imagine being on a cross? Now, where they break the legs? Here? Or here. How do you think they broke the legs? Come up and. No. They took a spear, a club, something heavy. Pfft, break your bone. Right there. Just like that femur bone being broken. Or your shin. Pfft. Now I can't stand up. I've slumped over. I'll die quickly. They come to Christ. Hey, he's already died. Who does he think he is? And the soldiers said, Pfft, drove the spear in his side because Zechariah said, they shall look on him whom they pierced. This was to fulfill scripture. And when Jesus comes back again and he puts his feet on the Mount of Olives, those Jews that are in Jerusalem Waiting for deliverance. They begin to wail as a mother wails the death of her firstborn son. And they look and they say, this is him who was pierced for us. It's coming. It's coming. Where did you get these wounds, they ask him. He said, I got them in the house of my friends. Seven things. Let's just quickly unpackage the seven words. One, forgive them. Did you know that the soldiers would never go to hell for crucifying the son? Because Jesus said right there that day, these soldiers dropped me in, and he said, Father, forgive these guys. Don't count this sin against them. They're carrying out orders for the Roman Empire. I do not want this to be in the list of their sins. So that very day, he expunged the sin of crucifying him to the soldiers. Was he thinking of others or of himself? Others. Others. Then, as he goes on, this thief, is he thinking of others or himself? This thief says, "Uh, uh, I believe you're the son of God. Uh, What can I? let Let me tell you about that thief and tell me about you. You and I are that thief on the cross. We deserve to die for our sins. God owes no one eternal life. We, if we went to hell forever, we've got what is coming. God said, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. If you don't want me, I've arranged a place where you will never be bothered by me. Hell is the absence of God. He will give you what you want. But there's three things that happened to that thief. One, he recognized he was guilty. Two, he recognized that Jesus was the Son of God. And three, he believed in him. And you today, you know how you can know you're going to heaven? First, admit you're guilty. Admit, I am a sinner. I can never make heaven on my own. If I got the wrath of God, I would get my deserts. But two, I really do believe, Jesus, you are different. You're more than a philosopher. You're more, even demons are not atheists. No, no, demons know he's God. They tremble. You're a bigger idiot than a demon if you don't believe he exists. The fool has said in his heart there's no God. Psalms 14, 1. Oh, fool, oh, fool, oh, fool, that you will perish and your own soul be destined on such stupidity. And the word for fool in the Hebrew is Nabal. It's the outrageous fool. You can't reason with him. Men go to hell stubbornly. They stubbornly refuse. He says, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Thoroughly, woman, here, this man's going to take care of you. Then at noon, when he says, my God, why have you forsaken me? I am not adequate uh, to unpackage the depth of this meaning. I know this. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? All I know of is when Israel confessed their sins over an animal, they would kill one animal, and then they would confess their sins over what was known as the scapegoat. And a scapegoat was to go out into the wilderness, not to come back to the camp. It was supposed to be the land of uninhabited loneliness. Christ, I believe the cup he dreaded in Gethsemane was this moment. I can take the spit. I can take the clubs. I can take the hate. I just can't take the thought of me and the Father. Losing a moment of face-to-face fellowship. And God says, if you become what they are, I'll have to treat you like they are. And if you become their sin, I will give the full measure of my wrath. And the ultimate measure is, I will abandon you. And I will withdraw from you. And you will begin to scream, according to Psalms 22, like a wounded animal. And he begins to cry out so much they think he's calling for Elijah. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And the answer would have been, you took the place of sinners. You took the place of Phil Howard. You took the place of all these sinners. And I will treat you as I should treat them. But in six hours, you will pay what it would take them eternity, and they never would be able to pay the debt. I will forsake Him because He dared to be a substitute for us. And then He cries out, I am thirsty. I don't believe the thirst was simply water on the tongue. Thirst was used in the Psalms when He said, As the deer pants after the water, so pants my soul for God. After he says, why have you forsaken me? I think he utters the cry of cosmic thirst. I am thirsty for the living God. Not just water. A few drops here. There is something in the core of my being. that I feel like a thirsty man wanting God and I'm in a wasteland. I want restoration of this fellowship. You'll hear people say, my soul is thirsting for God. I believe it's deeper than the physical. That in the core of his being, I thirst to get back. I thirst to get back. Quench this thirst in my being. Quench it. You see, it was the cry of a cosmic race that the whole race is thirsting, but they don't know where to quench it. So they try sex, they try booze, they try relationships, they try money, they try things. They try, they try, they try, they try. And at the end of the day, he said, is your thirst quenched?" You say, no, 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 no. The emptiness, the void is still there. Augustine said, thou hast created us for thyself, and we remain restless until we rest in thee. The thirst in your soul can't be quenched. You can't take enough coke. You can't do enough drugs. You can't have enough sex to fulfill the cosmic thirst in the core of your being. It's God. He's the only one that can fill the void. He's the only one. That's why we need to be evangelized and said come to the water. Come to the river. We've got something that will fill you to overflowing, and you'll stay on a high until you go to heaven, and you'll surely be high. And you don't come down, and there's no regrets. I don't know what I did when I was drunk last night. Well, in this high, you know what you're doing. You're basking in the living God who quenches your thirst. I have a God that quenches my thirst. I see people dabbling in this. You're dabbling in that. Say, Jesus isn't enough for you, is he? He said, if you eat this bread, you will never hunger again. Why in the world are you still dabbling in sin if you're eating on the bread? It either quenches or he's a liar, and you're the liar, not him. You come to me. You drink of me, receive eternal life. I'll put a river in you that springs up into eternal life. And here's the river of life saying, I'm thirsty because I'm experiencing what it's like to be separated from God. And there's a cosmic thirst in me that only the living God can fill. And I'm separated. I'm separated. And you're separated from God until you come. And you say, I want a drink of this water. I want this water quench the longing in my soul and i don't know where to fill it come to jesus come to jesus he fills has he quenched your thirst for meaning and reality and purpose do you know if you don't i doubt you know him you just got a religious itch you don't want a niche you want a person you want jesus he quenches i thirst then He goes on, and he says, it is finished. I don't have time to develop this very much, but let me say this. Hear me. Get this. Okay, now here. Are you listening? He said, it is finished. He did not say, I am finished. A big difference. You can't finish him off. You, you can't finish. It is finished. Now, what is the it? That's the question. The it is, number one, scriptures have all been fulfilled that prophesied what Messiah would do. I fulfilled it all. It is finished. Number two, everything, every lamb slain from the lamb of Abel on that said there's somebody coming that's going to bruise the head of the serpent. There's somebody that's going to take away the sin of the world. There's a lamb coming. There's a lamb coming. And write the book of Hebrews. There'll be no more lambs. There'll be no more turtle doves. There'll be no more animal sacrifices. No more Judea uh, priesthood. No more law. It's all been done. It's finished. It's paid. It's clear. I covered the dead. Oh, I wish some of you got happy enough you could kind of just breathe heavy just say, hey, this is how you get to heaven, honey. This is true. I'm not trusting burning incense and lighting candles. I'm trusting Christ who said, it is finished. It's paid in full. Let me, let me tell you something about this word, it is finished. It was an accountant's term, and it was used of IOUs. And so that you would write, you know, you've got a debt, and they would put it, they'd write it all out, and at the bottom you put your signature. Finally, you get the money. You paid it, and you come to the guy, and you count out the money. When you paid it, they would write this Greek word that he said on the cross, tetelestai, T-E-T-E-L-E-S-T-A-I. Tetelestai, you texted should have got that. Uh, and it, it was a perfect tense. It is finished with abiding results that it is completely paid for. And the idea was it's paid in full. And so that when you went to the guy, he'd say, your I owe paid in full. You don't owe me anymore. Now, guess what? When you went to jail in the Roman Empire, they would have a list of your crimes by your cell block. And on the day you got released, you know what they'd often do? They would take the whole list of your crimes, and when you would paid your time, they wrote at the bottom when they released you, tetelestai. So you showed up in the neighborhood, and they said, what are you doing here, man? I thought you were serving time. Tetelestai. <laughs> paid in full. Paid in full. Guess what? Paul told the Colossians when Jesus went to the cross, he picked up a handbill of ordinances of all that we'd broken every rule. He picked it up and he says, Father, let's take it to the cross. And at the cross, they nailed it on the cross. And when he had suffered long enough, he said, It's paid in full. Paid in full. I'm going to heaven. Because it's paid in full. Everything. Devil, don't accuse me. Go to the cross. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. Don't put me under a bunch of church rules and religious rules. I've gone to the cross. And he said it is paid in full. I'm going to heaven because of the cross. Not some church constitution. It is paid in full. And then, because i got to stop somewhere. How do you stop? I don't want to stop. Too bad. Let the game stop. This isn't to stop. We're going to talk about this for eternity. We're going to be celebrating the lamb that was slain. Not the lamb that landed there. Well, okay. It wasn't a, a nice lamb. That A slain lamb is go- what you're going to see in heaven. A slain lamb. You don't like blood religion. You don't like Christ. He's the slain lamb. I didn't get to heaven in a fire sale. I got to heaven because God died like a criminal in my place. In my place he stood. Then it says in Luke, it doesn't record in the other place. He finally said, you know what? Since I paid the debt, I've been here long enough. And he he says he cries with a loud voice. And he cries out, he says, uh, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And when you read the narrative in Luke, here's interesting, crucified men did not cry out loud because they died of exhaustion, weakness, but Luke says, the physician, he cried with a strong cry, Father, uh, I, I paid it. I want to tell my spirit to do something that no man can do. Every person in ICU wishes they have this power. He just looked at his spirit and said, uh, Spirit, we, we, we paid the debt. We fulfilled scripture. The will of God's been. Uh, hey, you spirit, I dismiss you. Goodbye. And he died. Because he said in John 10, none of you can take my life. Roman Empire can't take it. Death can't take it. Pilate can't take it, I lay down my life. I tell myself when to die. (laughs) I will rise. He dismissed his spirit. I wish I could get a patent on it so that every sick person, every folks in an old folks' home that don't want to live anymore, who just say, one day, I want to have breakfast. At the end of breakfast, say, honey, are you ready to die? Let's get out of this misery we run out of money. We can't stay in this home much longer. And we know we're going to die anyway. Listen here. Spirit, see you. (laughs) And then you wind up in heaven. And you don't do it by taking an overdose. You just say, see you, Spirit. He's the only man that ever died that way. Now, next week, we're going to start looking at what he accomplished in his death. There's 22 things, but I can't cover that many. I'll shoot for four. Okay, let's just sing, I Will Arise and worship Him. I'm going to pray for you while they're coming. Father, if there's anyone here that's like that thief that knows they're guilty, knows they're running, knows that they don't know you, let them today say, I'm guilty, I'm a sinner. I admit my need. Only the man on the middle tree can save me. Only Jesus will pursue me and give me eternal life by dying. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Oh, Father, you said you did not spare your son. Oh, how you loved. God so loved that he gave his only begotten Son.